0: Pod me home. Religion, science, myths, and legends all point toward the next evolution in human consciousness. What do the invisible realms hold? Who's telling us, and how do they know? We're investigating insights from around the world to answer the question, what does the material world arise out of and where do we go once we've dropped the body? You're about to go inter with Robert Wallace and Adam Jeffrey to Undiscovered My own Spiritual Realities. My own brother,
1: sister. Yeah, same
0: Stop. Are, are you thinking about what you're doing? We we'll get to that. Physically.
1: We're going to take a look at why we should stop doing things we don't need to do.
0: Then we have time to fully, uh, do we have time to fully deliberate everything we do do? You better figure it out.
1: And finally, when you make a decision, stick to it. We'll adjust your handwriting for success.
0: And judging a situation correctly can only happen if it's done independent of attraction or aversion. Find out what that even means next. Welcome to Spiritual Realities. This is Robert Wallace. If you uh, haven't tuned in with us before, this show is all about uh, the attainment of consciousness, of higher realms of existence. So we're talking about the spiritual planes. So if you're a religious person, a spiritual person, we're talking about heaven. We're talking about the astral plane, things like that. Uh, Adam is on the line with us. Normally, he's in the studio, but because of a recent injury, he's going to join us from afar.
1: Indeed. Thanks for having
0: me. Hey, Adam. So, what happened to your vertebrae? Well, it's actually
1: uh, an old injury. I was in an accident when I was 27 years old, and uh, I herniated a disc in my, uh, in my low back, uh, specifically L4, which happens to be right up against the sciatic nerve. So when that happens, it typically presses against that nerve, uh, which is the way I understand it, the largest, uh, nerve in the human body. It runs all the way from L4 in the low back, all the way down into the feet. And so when it presses against that, it, uh, from my experience, pretty much makes your legs completely useless (laughs) for about a day or so until it can heal itself up. So, um, Wow. Ever since that, yeah, ever since that accident, it's uh, you know I, I go through periods of healing where it gets a lot better. Uh, about every three years, it goes out on me just for random miscellaneous reasons. It could be bending over to pick up a a book or sneezing or just something as simple and mundane as you can imagine, which is what happened to me yesterday afternoon, and uh, I've been. Well, I laid in the floor for about three hours until I could make it to the bed. (laughs) Okay. And I've been here ever since.
0: Well, I'm glad you're back with us. So today... (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Today we're talking about um, right judgment. What is right judgment? Why is it significant to entering into higher planes of consciousness? I think the first thing to think about is we enter into these uh, planes of consciousness via thought in our thought life which means if our thoughts are not organized, if we don't have control over them, if we don't understand the uh, idiosyncrasies of uh, the thought life, how words have double meaning, and how we can be entrapped in our own thoughts and feelings, then we're not going to be able to navigate ourselves across the river Styx, so to speak. So Steiner actually prescribes, we're talking about Rudolf Steiner, and if you don't know him, he's uh, died 100 years ago, One of the most famous mystical theosophists uh, started something called Anthroposophy, which is basically uh, spiritual mysticism or Christian mysticism. And he prescribes uh, a a theme every day of the week. And we're going to talk about uh, Sunday's theme that he prescribes, right judgment, and uh, what that means. So one of the first things is deciding on even the most insignificant issues only after full, well-founded deliberation and reflection. And I think this is a a heavy topic because it requires that we're present in every moment and that we're running through our uh, thoughts and our experiences and circumstances mindfully in order to um, decide what the right thing to do is. And I think, uh, you know, growing up in the world, nobody ever talks to us about our thoughts. So we don't realize that there's anything more outside of the thought life a lot of times other than I'm going to get in the car, I'm going to drive to the store, I'm going to walk into the store and and get what I need and go home. And everything else is superfluous outside of that. We have a thought about a passing car, random thoughts, but they don't build up to anything. They're not connected to any uh, rules of thought. We don't say, oh, I shouldn't think that thought. We just take the thoughts as we as they come. Uh, and as a result, we're quite unconscious about our thought life and how it correlates with what's, what we're experiencing. So right. along these lines, uh, you've heard, you know, it says in the Bible, if any of you lack knowledge, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. So if we're doing our deliberation in the moment, we can actually uh, get into the pattern uh, the practice of praying. And if we're really quick, if we're, we can pray and get an answer within moments of having the question arise and having to make a decision. Adam, mm. is there time in life to deliberate every little thing? And if so, uh, how do we do that? Because sometimes it seems like it's not, but if we prepare, is it possible?
1: You know, I, I think that here, here in the West, as we call it, um, we tend to think that life just moves so fast and that it has to move so fast. It's almost as if we value um, things moving unnaturally fast. You know, we're a microwave society. We we want our food as fast as possible we have um you know mcdonalds and and places you can pull in and get fast food as we call it and and i think that i think that it's good for us to who are trying to um to live a spiritual life to slow down and uh you know i think that that's one of the many purposes of of prayer and meditation is is to make us stop and and become conscious of the fact that we're living unconsciously that we're that we're we we should not just be making decisions on the fly. That we should stop and be mindful, um, and, and make decisions based on what God wants, uh, and be conscious of that. You know, become one with God in thought. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And um, you know, I've talked about this, Damien, that you know Socrates referred to. I've also correlated that with, you know, the the comforter that Jesus said would uh, be sent to us, and in terms of how it speaks through stillness in the body. Mm -hmm. And in my personal journey, because what we're talking about today, these are exercises to be done or focused on once a week. So, you know, we can't hammer on all these points 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're focused on a few uh, and different days. So this is just one of the things that Steiner recommends we focus on on Sundays. This is a good day because we're working on right judgment, and that's the day, Sunday. I don't know why. Cool. Um, all unthinking behavior and all meaningless actions should be discarded from the soul. I feel like uh, most of our lives consist and are filled with meaningless actions— And behavior that should be discarded from the soul. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the image of that really paints a picture. I mean, we're starting to think about monks. We're starting to think about uh, really reserved, uh, you know, spiritual people. And so, I'm wondering, uh, what is it about this day and age that makes it so difficult to discard these uh, these actions? I think I heard. a while back somebody was talking about in inner cities how the perception of intelligence is actually looked down upon in, in some of the areas to know something is to be considered uh, you know uppity and that mm. you know being average is where it's what's cool but when i think about even just the unthinking behavior and the meaningless actions being removed from a personality it seems like the more Uh, ...correctly that that's applied, the more different that personality is going to be. We're going to be looking at a very mindful person. They're going to be calm, and they're not going to make as many mistakes... ...because they're not taking shots in the dark. They're just being still and only taking meaningful actions. So, uh, how much thinking is too much, and how little is too little thinking... For, uh, for this point, if all unthinking behavior and meaningless actions should be discarded, how long should we consider something before we decide to do it or not? Because we could stand in one place and, and the whole world can go by because we're still deliberating something that happened minutes ago.
1: Mm, it's an excellent question.
0: Uh, I think once we get into the pattern of taking a quick gut check with the spirit, um, over the most insignificant matters, uh, and we see the uh, the spirit speak or give us the information. We use it, and we see that it's uh, the spirit's listening, and it's accurate. Uh, then we should resolve to give all of our thoughts to the spirit, hold all of our thinking in captivity. Mm. Um, it makes
1: sense, you know. It, <clears throat> it seems like anything in life, the the more you practice it. Um, the better you'll get at it. So the, the quicker it will happen, it will become um, very natural. Like anything else we practice, you know, as a, as a child, we're learning to speak and we're learning the alphabet and things. And now we speak words virtually without having to think about it, you know. And I think the same could be true of this process. It seems like the, that with practice, um, we begin to trust the Spirit to speak with and even through us, Uh, and to think with and and through us. So it just seems like the more we practice it, the the more natural that will become.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. And that goes with everything, of course. Uh, I want to read a quote from the Bhagavad Gita. It says, The man who casts off all desires lives free from attachment. Who is free from egoism and from the feeling that this or that is mine obtains tranquility. And uh, this goes hand in hand with what we're talking about because it is our thought life of uh, desires and of personal concern that comes between our spiritual selves, the naturally altruistic side of ourselves, and God working through us and the normal humdrum uh, way of life where things uh, may or may not work out and, and suffering is around every corner. The idea that if we can remove ourselves from attachments, from having to be right, having to be validated, having to possess, having to uh, have things a certain way, just being able to go with the flow and very passively surrender our, our need for things to be a certain way, this is um. how this is how the Bhagavad Gita saying tr- tranquility comes, and tranquility's code for heaven. It's code for these other dimensions, and bliss and tranquility are the atmosphere of those planes.
1: Mm -hmm. It's really beautiful stuff. Yeah. You know, I I, I immediately think of uh, the Buddha who taught that to cling is to suffer. And then, you know, you start to see how um, these common threads once again um, permeate, transcend, um, are interwoven. Through all of the major religions and spiritual practices, uh, we see that the idea that to cling to our attachments and our ideas about ourselves and our ego—you um, know—that that very clinging itself is suffering—is um, it what causes us to suffer. And that um, when we let go of these attachments and false identities of the ego, um, we find our true self, which is the spirit of God living through us. Right?
0: Yeah, and you know. The thing is, I mean this is all about right judgment, and right judgment's really important and significant. You can make a, a bad mistake through anticipating something that should be, but because you don't have the the prerequisite understanding of of what sound objective judgment is, you can be totally wrong. <clears throat> and when it comes to uh entering into the spiritual world, as Steiner and others uh tell us everything that we do in in this plane becomes kind of blown out or intensified in the next plane. So having a a little bit of ignorance can create a big problem for us on the other side. Or having a bad idea or a bad understanding is going to create an issue for us. So if we're going to not just transcend to these other dimensions but begin to walk in them and and hold ourselves upright and handle the challenges that present present themselves to us there, then we really have to have hammered in into our spirit, not just our soul, but our spirit, Mm. what right judgment is among other things so that we can have the wisdom to discern. You know, during the opening, we talked about uh, handwriting, well, adjusting your handwriting for success. And this is going along with when you make a decision, stick to it. Well, I'm going to give everybody a little pro tip. If you're not a student of graphology, which is handwriting analysis, or it's sister science, graphotherapy, or pseudoscience, Jensen, who you are, then you probably don't know that your personality comes out in the way you write your letters in cursive. I can tell about your personality based on how you write in cursive. And on the flip side, if we do change the way you write the letters, we will change your personality. So this is really great for people who want to take like a real manual approach to their personalities, look into graphology, look into graphotherapy. So the example we're going to give here is with the lowercase r. The lowercase r, the way it's written, can make a person energetic and and happy and and sunny. It can make a person uh, reinvent the wheel. Another person, depending on how it's written, it can make them Uh, Go along with the flow, don't reinvent, just do things by the book. If you notice when you're drawing up on a lowercase r in cursive, it goes up and then you go across and back down. And the key to adding uh, some uh, steadfastness into your decision is to add this little loop that when you come up, you go back and you loop around and then forward and down. And now that I'm thinking about it, it's very difficult to describe letters uh, over a show like this. <laughs> um, so so anyway, the point is, uh, study in graphology can help you improve all parts of your personality, <laughs> including uh, your ability to stick with decisions made. Hmm. So if I see that characteristic, this little loop at the beginning of, you know, the top left part of the person's lowercase r, I know that they make decisions and stick by it, and you're not going to be able to talk them out of the stuff. So you want to mm-hmm. be like that? Go ahead, change your r. Um, so uh, once we're convinced that a decision is correct, we should adhere to it with steadfastness. We should figure out what, what we need to know about the matter. We need to make a decision on the matter, and then we need to stick by that and not second-guess ourselves. And I think it goes without saying why that's very important. But uh, spir- Absolutely. spiritually speaking, you know, a fickle mind, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways.
1: Mm. Right.
0: You know, without a vision, the people perish. So if you're inconsistent about what the goal is, if you're inconsistent about what you want or what you're deciding to do, you're going to end up half-baked on two sides, and and it's no bueno. Mm. Um, it's tough. It, it's tough. So um, I want to talk more about silence and stillness, because that's what this show ultimately is pointing toward. That's what all meditation and spiritual religious practices are pointing toward, learning how to stop the mind and then forgetting all that information and simply executing mind stoppage. Um, To sit silent and look wise is not to be compared with drinking sake and making a righteous shouting. That's from a guy, Otomo no Tabito. I don't know who he is. But it's a good quote.
1: It is a good quote.
0: It reminds us that the inner turmoil of the mind doesn't go away just because you're, you've managed to dull it down. Mm. Sitting with our thoughts and then actually bringing them to a calm. That's, that's the true meaning of being spiritually in the zone. Um, as far as meditation techniques go, Adam, there are a lot and a lot of people have uh, different approaches to the subject. Some people want to talk about mantras, uh, like in transcendental meditation. Uh, some people want to look at just the breath, as in the uh, Vipassana meditation style. Um, Steiner takes an approach uh, which really resonated with me and, and brought me a lot of uh, spiritual progress so that I was having these spiritual experiences that you too, listening right now, can have. And I'm going to give you uh, just in short the the shortcut to how he uh, explained how to really solve the biggest problem in meditation, which is being still and silent, having no thought. And because that's so vital to entering into spiritual dimensions of consciousness, to begin to have a warped experience that turns into something supernatural, um, silence and stillness are essential. But if you begin to do your meditation process on a plant, uh, for instance, and in particular, because of the spiritual nature of the plant, and you stop or steal your thoughts the best you can, with the exception of taking any thoughts that do arise and bending them toward uh, thoughts that pertain to the object you're meditating on in particular. So here's the big shortcut, here's your big takeaway for today. If you can't stop all your thoughts, do the meditation on your meditation object, preferably a flower, and anytime you feel like you can't stop the flow of thoughts, redirect the thoughts to be thinking about the plant from the plant's uh-huh. perspective. Because what the real key to the silence and stillness is getting all of the attention off of the self, off of the ego, off of the personal concerns, and projecting it out into the world. And in this selfless, state of mind in this concern for outside beings we actually enter into their spirits they're able to enter into ours we cut ourselves off when we segment ourselves and we isolate ourselves in our own spiritual ecosystem but when we make other people the focus of it we open it up we let their universe pour into us so to speak so while doing your meditation gazing at a flower Remembering that any thoughts that come need to become, if they weren't, thoughts that are of the concern of the plant you're looking at. And also bring in to the visualization, moonlight. Uh, Steiner says that we should look upon growing and blossoming plants and see the sun. We should be able to feel the presence of the sun and feel the light of the sun. And when we're looking at plants which are dying or decaying, we should see or re-stimulate the feelings that we get when we look at the moon or the moonlight. And in that process of taking that moonlight part and mixing it with the meditation in order to create a re-stimulation of the uh, moonlight spectrum of light, I decided when I do my gazing into the plant, I'm gonna visualize a little bitty moon right there in the middle of the petals and beaming off this moon will be the moonlight and that moonlight that re-stimulation from that visualization is what i need to start to move over and shift my vision into another spectrum of light where there are spiritual beings to be seen and it's really just a doorway to other spiritual dimensions within that mm. Now, I used to have reservations about things like even invoking the word moonlight, because it sounds very uh, pagan, sounds like, you know, the witches, you know, dancing around in the full moon sort of thing. Not my uh-huh. bag. But <laughs> but moon, the moon is much bigger than uh, one cultural stereotype about a group of people. And you know how it's used because the moon is for everybody, and it actually is the physical manifestation, according to Steiner, of Jehovah himself. And, wow! And Steiner does uh, differentiate Jehovah of the um, Old Testament, his presence as a uh, you know force of God, uh, from the Christ and the fire spirits who come down from the sun and the first fire spirit to come down from the sun, the first begotten son of God was Christ, uh, who, uh, went into the body of Jesus. Hmm. Um,
1: I, I think of, um, you know, when you're talking about the moon and, and not just clinging to a, a particular societal stereotype that we have about moonlight and, and that kind of thing. I also think as far back as, you know, uh, St. Francis of Assisi, um, in his canticles and and songs and poems to brother son, and sister moon, uh, mm. you know, per, personifying the, the these duties that we find in nature, and and um, you know, so I mean, they, I think that that all traditions, um, we we can find once again a, another common thread running through, and, and not be afraid of exploring those territory t- territories for ourselves and for the truth that we're seeking, you know, hey, I think that a lot of stereotypes um, keep us from really being open to truth at its best a lot of times. So I think that's really good advice to to remember, um, that no one group um, or stereotype should hold on to something and make it feel unapproachable for us.
0: I know it. It's like like the conservative Christians who uh, are up in arms about the practice of uh, any kind of foreign spirituality – uh, would almost surrender a part of their own spirituality in uh, their prejudices they uh-huh. would they would forget that these parts of nature which were not only reflections of the spiritual realm they are uh, manifestations of of God in this plane and we are all intermixed intertwined we're very much connected with the spiritual beings of the plant kingdom and so and of the sun and moon. And we just don't hear any correlations. Like, I'm not saying we should be, you know, sun worshipers or anything like that. Um, Right, right. The physical sun, just like our physical bodies, is a representation of a spiritual, invisible spiritual being that exists behind it. That is occupying it, maybe has crystallized in this form, but is not that being.
1: Mm.
0: And so... Uh, when it comes to the significance of the sun or when we're talking about something like that, we're not talking about worshiping idolatry, a physical sun. We're talking about recognizing the one who lives behind the sun. Right. And all, Absolutely. And all of a sudden, the uh, spiritual teachings of uh, Hora Mazda, of the sun gods, uh, as they're kind of taught and depicted... Uh, the significance of the sun, it starts to make more spiritual sense when we have a more holistic view of spirituality relative to comparative religion.
1: Right. I I like that you use that word holistic. I think that's excellent. Um, I I would add, for for me personally, as as part of my spiritual journey, um, one thing that really opened me up, to, to all of this um, when I was coming out of sort of a fundamentalist trap that I found myself in for a while, where I was truly living by fear as much as I was by love. And I had to kind of come to that realization that I was so afraid of all of these things. But I think that, you know, if we're being guided by the Spirit, then we should walk in love and base our decisions in love rather than in fear, because perfect love perfected love cast out all fears we've talked about before mm-hmm. and, and and i remember um an influential teacher that really helped me to bridge this gap um was rob bell um and, and i'll never forget one of the things he said is that that we as um spiritual people who are walking by the spirit and being guided by the spirit should claim truth wherever we find it because it's god's truth no, nobody can claim Any particular truth, if it's true, then it's God's truth, and we should trust that no matter where we find it. If it's true, then let the spirit lead us into that truth and trust the spirit and not be afraid but be guided by
0: love. That's absolutely right. Um, because where there's guilt, there's fear, because there's uh, a feeling of impending punishment, and where there's that fear, there isn't love because like you said, there's no fear in love because fear has to do with punishment. So he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Right. So back to my long-winded uh, meditation um, example. <laughs> You're meditating on a flower. You're twisting all your thoughts to make sure that they're only from the plant's perspective. They're. How does it feel to have these petals, you know, unfurled? How does it feel to stare at the ceiling all day and night while, you know... Robert Wallace is at work or wherever, you know, uh, and you're just feeling from its perspective. And that right there will create such a dramatic shifting in the light in your eye and uh, your, your visual field, how things take on new characteristics, aspects of the room darken, other aspects of what you're focusing on start to glow and the deeper and stiller you can get yourself in. Uh, all of a sudden you'll get to a point where you pop over into another dimension. A spiritual reality, hmm. and that's what we're all about here.
1: Yeah, beautiful stuff.
0: Um, we talked about a a prior week about compassion and having compassion for uh, drivers, people who are uh, driving, and having, uh, uh, you know, issues with other drivers and being mean to each other and stuff like that. I think, uh. My producer, Amazing amazing D, has
2: something to say on this. Yes, I have a question. When referring, I oh know I'm kind of late on the question, but referring back to when you said that we need to let go of things that aren't nourishing to our soul, and in turn, do you believe that when we release these things, will, will it make us a better person, as in keeping them in, we tend to become bitter over time and just sad on life?
0: Absolutely. The uh, the main problem that most people have, they, of their attitude, of their dissatisfaction in life, it goes back to all their life experiences, all these memories that they've collected, and true. all this pain that they're carrying, of what somebody said to them at two jobs ago one day, or you know what their mom said twenty years ago, and all of these things are still ringing true in their head after all this time, so. Yeah. You know, not only is there like, you know, a a feeling of releasing and feeling free in your heart and in your chest once you forgive and let go of these matters, Mm -hmm. but all of a sudden now there's a change of opinion that can happen because we're subconsciously informed or we're informing our opinions by our life experiences. And if our life experiences are misseen, misknown, then we're going to have an aberrated view of life. Based on a, a a twisted misconception that came from, you know, taking somebody else's pain and making it ours, taking their anger and all of a sudden making it, you know, our fault and 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 devaluing ourselves and and so on. So, in in Scientology, and I think uh, it's a good example to bring up because a lot of uh, religions are doing the same way. This is just a more tactic, tactical uh way they do something called auditing uh which you know they're kind of famous for this putting somebody on a set of cans they're called cans in the scientology's nomenclature and you hold these electrodes and it passes a current through you and the differential that reads on this meter which says i put out less than a volt and i'm getting you know even less than that back okay person's thinking thoughts so the whole point of all that complicatedness that they're doing over there is to get people to think about their thoughts without having any reaction. Think about the good and bad memories without it bringing a rise to you, out of you, making you sad again, making you angry, so that we can have a very balanced emotional perspective on everything. And in this way, we set ourselves free. So in Christianity, we're repenting, and in most other traditions, it's basically taking the form of confession and/or repenting, and in that way, we remove from ourselves the guilt that is clinging on to us, and it frees us up mentally and spiritually to move forward and believe new things, expand our perspective about matters that we never thought we could expand into. Uh, you know, reincarnation is one of those things, Adam. You know, when I started uh, my journey. I was pretty convinced I would never believe in reincarnation. I made a point of stating about three things to God overtly. I said, and reincarnation is one of the things I will never believe in. Right. And because I have such an open mind and I'm, you know, so inclined towards uh, comparative religion and studying all the perspectives, that eventually it just hit me so many times. And, and now I'm at a 180 because now I can't imagine trying to explain religion, spirituality. Philosophy, anything without reincarnation, it's become absolutely. It's the cornerstone of uh, our beliefs.
2: I read it, this, it really is. I'm sorry, Adam. Um, I read yeah, this article. It was a long time ago, and I forgot where I found it at. But it said, um, thirty percent. I think it was off a sample, but it said thirty percent of that sample. If you believe in something, you have a happier lifestyle. And so I was thinking, I know I do believe in reincarnation, but maybe was saying, let's say that that isn't real, but I believe that if I'm reincarnated into another person or another soul, that that will happen to me once I die, but it makes me happier on the inside because I know there's life after I tend to yeah. die. And so do you believe that maybe if you believe in a certain aspect of life that you will be happier to get through your life that you are in now?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think I'll preface it by saying, I don't necessarily think, you know, if, except in this example, I believe it's true. But if somebody believes something that's not true or false, do I think they're better off carrying on believing that falsity? I think, uh, you know, that's not necessarily good. But what I do think is uh, good is to let everybody think their own thoughts for where they're at. So if somebody approaches me and they say, you know, that's not biblical, that's not true. And I have to say, I I get where you're coming from. I totally appreciate that. I understand. Uh. And just simply, you know, leave it there because it is true that we are all made up of beliefs. Our beliefs bring us comfort. They explain why things are happening. So, uh, you know, of course, yeah, it's, it's good to have, you know, beliefs, even if you're clinging on to, you know, kind of misunderstandings. It's good to have something... Um, to uh to refer to and to have you know like Martin Luther King Jr said he who does not have a cause for which he is willing to die is not fit to live.
2: Yeah, he did say that. Yeah. That was a mm-hmm. quote. Yeah. Cuz you have to live for something or you die for nothing.
0: Absolutely. And so go into life, hold your beliefs. They may not be perfect because none of our understanding is perfect nor could it be with the coarse language that we use designed for a physical world. It's, you know, our understanding isn't perfect. You know, God's ways are above our ways. Uh, But we can make attempts to get closer and closer and get a clearer and clearer understanding. And I find, uh, you know, when synapses start happening, when I start having personal reflection, I start to correlate all kinds of truths and have all these epiphanies and things which are scarcely written about anywhere. They're cognitions that are almost hidden except to the one who's, Uh, diving in and finding them. And I think, you know, the theme of our show is really about trying to help people know that they can pick themselves up by their own bootstraps. They can change their direction. They can control their thoughts. They can uh, take responsibility for these things and they can bring themselves closer to God, closer to their spiritual nature. And, uh, ultimately start experiencing the spiritual every single day. But it doesn't happen if we're limited to our church visitations, if we're limited to just mainstream uh, dogmatism, you know? There's only so many times you can go into a a church and hear somebody say, you know, love your neighbor and, you know, (laughs) love God. But if we're not thinking and feeling this information you know, deeply and, and really pulling it apart and seeing what happens every time I think a uh, evil thought towards somebody. What am I sending to them? What am I sending back to myself? If we can't start to talk on that level, then all this talk of being good to each other and everything, it seems like we're just pushing civil law on people. Like, I want you all to be good and quiet so I behave. But we don't right. see that there's a spiritual necessity because we are literally being attacked in the spiritual realm whenever we are chasing after our own lusts or desires. And whenever we submit ourselves humbly and send love to another person, we're lifting ourselves up. So, you know, whatever you give will be gotten in return. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that too shall he reap. And just because you don't reap it right in that moment with that other person doesn't mean you're not going to reap it in 10 years, the next day, in between lives, or your next life. And the broader we can make our perspective through a study on these matters, through a study in theosophy or anthroposophy or spiritual science or something like that, and we start to excavate what's happening according to those who've seen the other side— then we can begin to be mentally prepared and even maybe remember the things we've experienced in prior in terms between lives. And then we can start to take this life and really uh, live it more intentionally. Mm -hmm. I I may have talked about in the past, uh, a memory that I had uh, between lives, looking back with an angel or talking to an angel or whoever, I don't remember who was in front of me, we were reviewing my past life and we were looking back down into the earth, into this void where the the memory of the actions that had taken place were happening. And I saw myself do just the slightest kind action and all of these spirits and ghosts started coming out in the spiritual world of bliss and heavenly angels. And I looked back Uh at the angel who I was talking to and I said, all that happened over that? I don't know, I, I I think I let an old lady go ahead of me, or I, you know, offer to carry something, just some kind of almost common sense little action that seems inconsequential. But here in the physical world, whatever we do here is leverages so much more spirituality. So that's why it's even more of a big deal what you do here, because it affects the spiritual world so much more profound than what you do from the spiritual world. So, wow. And then I remembered, I'm like, man, when I I need to come back into this world, and I just need to, you know, spend my time trying to be as nice in all the little ways and as much as possible, because for as much effort as it feels like, as it takes here to suppress a bitter feeling and to put a smile on her face and to be loving and kind, the result is so worth it. We can't even compare the sufferings of this life to what God has prepared. We can't compare. You know, what we have to put on the side here for how much good it's doing in the spiritual world. Mm. And, you know, when we're living this life, it's so easy to, you know, put our feelings in the moment into number one place and to say to ourselves, look, if this doesn't work out right now, I'm not going to be happy. And I may never be happy. You know, this has to happen in this way. This person can't treat me this way or think they're going to get away with it. And all of those thoughts are just keeping us on the hamster wheel of death in darkness, of illusion. Mm. You know, yeah. you hit me, so I'm going to hit you. And, and where does it end? You called me a name, so I'm going to call you a name. You know, you gave me attitude, so I'm going to give you attitude. Where does it end? Like the Bible says, you know, a you know a, a believer, you know, when they give more than they're supposed to, uh, when they, like if they're nice to somebody who's nice to them, it says what credit is it to them? Because even evil people are nice to people who are nice to them. Mm, Okay. Absolutely. And so, if we're justifying our lives, and I've heard this said by so many people, and it it really drives me nuts because it misses the boat entirely. They say, Well, I'm nice to people who are nice to me. Mm. I get this from a lot of different kinds of people. I say, Well, when you know, you want respect, you treat me with respect, I'll treat you with respect. You know, I treat people the way they treat me. I'm like, this is so backwards. This is saying that you are going to be an effect of everybody else's effects. Instead of being caused and saying, you're going to be mean to me, but you know what? I'm going to love you. I'm going to forgive that. I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to excuse you. I'm going to see how in my head you could feel that way. I'm going to have compassion and I'm going to love you back in spite of whether or not you ever choose to be kind to me. I mean
1: that is so beautiful.
0: It, we really do have to get away from treating people the way that they treat us and we have to instead treat them the way we'd want them to treat us. So, that goes Sir
1: Robert I, I I've got this poem that comes to mind if you don't mind me sharing it. Jeez. Um well, one of Hafez's, uh one of his poems that has just always been one of the more beautiful ones to me just falls in line so perfectly with what you're saying right now. Uh, Hafez said, even after all this time, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. Mm-hmm. Look what happens with a love like that. It lights the whole sky.
0: I heard that one. That is beautiful. It's a perfect example. Exactly.
1: Yeah, it's so beautiful. And, and, of course, it falls right in line with what, what Jesus said, the exact same thing, you know, that the, the sun, uh, it doesn't judge who is right and wrong, and who it's going to give the light to? It just gives freely, and the rain falls on the sinner and the saint alike. You know what I mean? Again, we have these common threads coming through the, the various traditions and spiritual practices, and, and it's love, and it's it's unconditional love. You know, it's not a not a conditional love that says, "Yeah, I'm going to love you if you love me." It says, "No, I I'm going to love you like the sun loves the earth." Yes. Uh, eh? You know, that's God. That's God love
0: yes and that gets me really fired up because when we start thinking about the world and this life experience as a communal process instead of me myself me my spouse me and my kids me and my personal family me and my extended family me and my friends and we start thinking about me and humanity me and that homeless person me and that person who just cut me off me and the store clerk And start projecting the love that we feel for our most intimate relationships on these strangers. I think that's when we're getting closer to this agape love.
1: Absolutely.
0: A Course in Miracles talks about special relationships being uh, causing separation between us. And Mm. if we're going to love somebody within a special love that, that we then withhold from other people... I mean, yeah, it makes sense. You know, we have a special affinity that comes with, you know, our our children that's natural that we don't have, you know, f- for a stranger. This is one that, you know, kind of rises up out of us naturally. But these are feelings that we can cultivate and we can start applying in different places. For instance, when it comes to these close relationships, Jesus said, when they said, your mom and your brother are at the gate, he said, well, Wait a minute, who's my mother and who is my brother? (laughs) Absolutely. He says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother and my brother. That means you could be more my mother and my brother than my own mother or brother is simply because of your relationship to God. And that our spiritual Mm. family, the spiritual bounds are even stronger than these blood bounds that bind us together.
1: That's just so beautiful and amazing. And and I would love to add to that as a family man, as a man who is happily married and has uh, four beautiful daughters and, and and a little boy on the way, that I, I think that um, sometimes it can scare people to think that way. Um, if, if they haven't, you know, if they haven't felt this yet, um, it, it can scare us to think oh, wow, I, I couldn't possibly feel that love that I feel for my children or my spouse uh, for everyone. But I want to put out there that I think that one of the most beautiful experiences is to come to a point where you you become so united with God that you actually start to experience that love for others, that, that same love that you feel for your children. And, and you go, wow, I didn't think that was possible because I never felt a love like I felt for my babies. You know, I've never felt that love prior to having the children, and then suddenly God gives you this beautiful grace, you know, whether in a state of meditation or you—you know, Thomas Merton, um, he's one of my big influences and has helped me along my path. I'll never forget he talked about one day he was out of the monastery in Kentucky. He was walking down the streets of Louisville. I don't know if you're familiar with this story, but Mm. he was walking around, and he just stopped and was struck— by this sense of awe, as he looked around at the people, and he said, I, I loved them all. I, I loved them all profoundly, and I, and I saw their faces shining like the sun. Um, and that, that's where I got the line for one of our songs um, called Shining Like the Sun. It was from Thomas Merton, but he had this profound experience of love, that he loved every single person that he saw, whether he quote-unquote, knew them or not, this profound love for them that was it was as if he was channeling God's love. And I've read about this experience over and over with various people, uh, again, from various traditions, either during states of meditation or just these moments of epiphany when they're just walking out among people. And, And I have felt and experienced that, and it is beautiful. It is a beautiful and profound moment to feel as if God's love is channeling through you and, and you're looking around and you love these people as if it's your own child and and you would you would die for that person even though you've never spoken a word with them. See uh, it's it's a it's a beautiful thing.
0: I think that hit the nail on the head right there. I you know, for people who know me, I walk around and I and I call everybody my child. I even call my own mother. My mother's mm. a little mother. I call her my child. She's my precious child. My spouse is yeah. my child, everybody's my child. And mm. I think uh I think the thing is, it's, it's like what you said, you know, like until somebody knows that profound love, it can be even incomprehensible to try to compare that to, to strangers. And, and everybody knows, even God, you know, in the Bible, is, you know, stresses like how great his love was for his son, and yet he still sacrificed him. He sacrificed his son for everybody else who's not, who wasn't his son, who wasn't, you know, born in, you know, perfection, and who is li- living crazily. And then you remember Abraham. You know, it was counted to him right. for righteousness, for being willing to sacrifice his son, though God didn't have him go through with it. The point is, can you love God as much as your kids? Can you love, you know, humanity as much as you, uh, you, you love your closest uh, people in your life? And that is, Absolutely. I think it's really, I mean, for me, it's just been a matter of practice. When you're driving around, like, feel feelings of love for each other, for the other drivers, you know, have massive Uh sympathy, massive empathy, you know, make excuses for the people who cut you off, you know, uh, feel love for the people who, you know, seem to be, you know, in their own world or driving while talking on their cell phone. Like, see these people as your children, as your brother and your sister, because that is somebody's Uh brother, that's somebody's sister, that's somebody's mother. And when you talk about them, you're talking about your mother, you're talking about my mother. And if we can just share that with each other, if we can kind of adopt each other into our own personal family trees, I think we can learn to treat everybody the way that we'd want to be treated, the way that we'd want others to treat our family. That's how we're going to treat everybody else's family. Beautiful. Well, so, you know, next week, we're going to be talking about, uh, more about meditation. We're going to talk more about the what they have in common adam you know i think we did touch on that today but i think we should get more into the common denominators of these different uh meditation techniques and i think this is all again part of the whole comparative religion thing if you you know if you can see all sides of you know the whole elephant example if somebody is a blind they'll touch this side the side and everybody gets a different idea Or it takes somebody who's viewing, and they only view the elephant from the backside or from the side, you know? They don't understand Mm -hmm. what a three-dimensional look is, and you only get a a three-dimensional view when you get a conceptual understanding, which you get when you look at multiple sides of a story. And so the story of religion, of God, is told in many books and many religions. Put them all together. Find how they correlate, because somehow the people who master all these different religions are getting to the same places.
1: Absolutely.
0: And so while we're spending all this time fighting about the little differences in the instruction books, you know, we're missing our opportunity to both apply the information, see where everybody else is coming from, how they're right, and also be able to uh, take advantage of that and to think with uh, the knowledge uh, that's been given the whole world instead of cutting it all out since there wasn't enough written. Like uh, the Gospels say, it would fill up all the books in the world to talk about everything that Jesus did. You know, don't think your shelf is complete So Absolutely.
2: Well
0: anyway, the show's coming to an end Just want to remind everybody to like us On Facebook uh, Facebook.com Spiritual, Re- uh, Spiritual Realities Email me at Robert at New Precept. Go to NewPrecept.com we got some great lectures, programs uh, Videos and things like that there And uh, Adam
1: You can check out more of the work That I'm doing in the world um, I make music, my wife and I uh, create songs at 3 com. That's three spelled out. Uh, 3 com. And, and imagine. We we're
0: check. going off. Thanks, Adam. Imagine Vegan All right. Cafe. All right. Talk All right. to you guys. Thank you.